episode 19 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. There's something in the way. Alrighty guys, welcome along to episode 19 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Owls, your monthly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that come alongside it. Well, I've, uh, I've just started recording the show and it's quite funny because I've just put my dishwasher on in the background as well and I'm slightly concerned that you might be able to hear the dishwasher, but I'm thinking you won't, so a stress for me, not for you. So anyway, so what have I been up to this month? Not much this month, it's just been a kind of ticking over month. Uh, I often talk about my running groups and it's been a crazy month for those guys and um, we've done some big things and uh, the business is going to the next level. My partner Joe has just quit her full-time job to go part-time so we can work on the business. So it's very exciting, I have to say, you know, the business is going so well. So anyway, I often think how at the beginning of the show, I often waffle on about just my own life and if you're a new listener to the show, you might think, what's this guy on about? But it's just how I roll. So anyway, this month's show... This month's show is a really fascinating show for me because it's been a big shift in my thinking probably in the last probably six to eight months around um, what it takes to be successful. And, you know, I've been someone who's been a very goal-orientated person really since the age of 20, and I'm currently 34, nearly 35. And uh, and so, for, you know, for around 14, 15 years of my life, I've, I've really been someone who's stuck to setting goals having having targets to aim towards and stuff and and to be honest in the last probably eight months to a year I've had a real big shift in the way I do these this goal setting or maybe not even goal setting as such because to be honest I'm, I'm doing less goal setting now um, which you're going to find out in today's show and and but some things have really influenced the way I think around certain areas and you know nowadays I'm very fortunate that I get to work with people one-on-one and I find it so rewarding. I'm really lucky in my life because I get um, I get to work with groups and I love working with groups. I do enjoy the idea of working with groups of people. I love the energy of it. I love um, the challenge of it. I love the social dynamic and, and how can you create a, a social environment that makes people be successful in the thing they're trying to go towards. It's kind of the question I always have in my head. And, uh, and I'm very fortunate that I have lots of outlets for it. So I teach group fit. I've got my running businesses. And then I get to influence, you know, through shows like this one where I get to, you know, every month come along and maybe share some knowledge with you guys or some experience from people I know that can help you bring some concepts into your life that, you know, maybe help you be successful. And then the other area which I've been doing for around 18 months now is personal coaching and I, I limit it to 10 people at one time and um, I because I, I always think a good balance of everything I do is, is the formula I'm aiming for but I love the personal coaching I'm very lucky in that I have amazing clients first of all all my clients are absolutely fantastic and uh, but it's also really really rewarding because when you work with someone I kind of work as a personal coaches and you kind of see me every week and the amount of growth that uh, the people I work with just it's pretty massive really and, and it's so rewarding from my perspective looking in to see these people develop themselves so much and um so I, you know I, I love it I suppose that's what I'm trying to say but through that the, the personal coaching role and through my own experience around goal setting I've made some real discoveries recently which have been quite, quite profound in the way we look about success in people's lives and the way that we can think about the best way to focus our attention towards success and today's show is really going to come from that place it's going to come from the place of maybe some ideas that you haven't heard before and maybe I you know maybe you'll be able to put it together by the end of the show and and maybe think of a formula that you can implement into your life that will help you to become you know that best version of yourself that I often talk about so um, I've got a few emails at the end of the show to kind of wrap up and kind of, you know, I get lots of emails from you guys, which is really great. And I've got a few emails coming through and uh, I'll, I'll kind of give a bit of a wrap up of everything at the end of the show. But anyway, there was my waffling section going. I'm going to get straight into the show right now. So uh, here we go. If you think back to the show I did on goal setting, oh, it's probably a year or so ago now, on the idea of trying to find the way that you're going to be most successful at goal setting and that 
really a goal setting in itself isn't necessarily something that is the same for everybody. The kind of, I suppose, if there was an overall message for that podcast, it was learn the way that you have been successful around goal setting in life and and let that evolve as you evolve in character and experience and development of self. And, you know, and that that was kind of saying, you know, the idea of smart goals, while it's a good kind of base rule to start with, doesn't necessarily work with everybody. And really what you can do is you can look to times where you've been successful in the past and try to find a duplicate those things and 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 I've always been a goal setter so today's show is going to be a bit around my experience and a bit around some stuff I've learned recently that I I really think you can implement and and for me I I see this as a big step forward and well I know because the stuff I'm going to talk about today I've been practicing myself and I've used it with one of my clients but being someone who's set a lot of goals I remember often I used to say to myself when I was talking about people was or talking about myself to people around my goal setting, I say, I'm only ever as good as the goal requires me to be. i say it again, I'm only ever as good as the goal requires me to be. So where does that come from? Well, often what would happen was, I would set a goal for a period. So I, I traditionally would do goals every three to kind of six months, probably three to four months more realistically. I'd sit down and pretty much spend a day kind of reassessing where I'm at, where am I trying to go, how am I going to get there and, and benefits and who will it affect, who's going to make me help, you know, be successful and those types of questions. And and when I set in a goal, it really started from what was the outcome I desired? You know, what was I trying to aim for in the different areas of my life? Now for me, I, I often would set goals around maybe three to five different areas. I, I learned pretty early on that you can't be great at 12 things at once, that you can you can achieve pretty successfully and pretty highly around three or four things, probably better off to say three, at, at a high level and really focus on those things. Or Again, that's what works for me. And so what I would do is, in my first part of my goal setting process, I'd spend a lot of time trying to find the outcome that would be the ultimate motivator. And I'd have periods where, you know, the outcome was a real driver. I can think back to the last time I did an Ironman. Uh, this was around three years ago now, and I did an Ironman in Germany. And it was my very last Ironman. I knew I was going to be retiring after this race. And I was very motivated to to get a sub-nine-hour Ironman. It was kind of like my big goal. And so the goal in itself was a really great goal because I really, really wanted to achieve this goal. And so as I sat down and did my goals, I I basically created a life plan for the next four months to get me to the finish line as fast as possible and give me the highest chance of achieving that sub-nine-hour mark. And then there were other times where you'd set goals where, you know, you may set a goal of going to do, I can't actually remember any particular, but I would set goals that they weren't that motivating at the end of the day, that the outcome I desired, like the idea of, I can remember one, and uh, it was in an off season, I decided I'd do a marathon just to kind of keep me kind of fit, you know, in the winter season over, over winter. And, you know, deep down, that wasn't really a big driver for me as an athlete. And so I, you know, I set this goal of doing a marathon and I wrote out this plan. But at the end of the day, I, you know, I kind of half-heartedly went through the goal and, and I did an okay race, but it wasn't the same as doing my last Ironman where I was willing to lay everything down. And so at the time, I used to think to myself that getting the goal right was of, of utmost importance. You know, if I could find the outcome that was motivating enough in myself, then I would find a level of self that would help me achieve massive things. And so, you know, that's why the goal setting process was kind of important. I would, you know, devote a lot of time trying to make sure that that kind of the carrot that I dangled in front of myself was a carrot that I really desired. Because from experience, I'd learned that if the carrot wasn't the right carrot, I wasn't really going to be as motivated to be, you know, the, the better version of myself. So if we look back to those times, when I set my goals, it was always, here's an outcome I'm trying to set, and I was hopeful that the outcome would be a motivator enough to make me be a high level, in, a higher level I should say, in self. But what was really the point of trying to find that outcome? You know, if we look at the two different sides here, sometimes I'd, I'd find the outcome, that the carrot, I suppose, as I'll use as an analogy here, the carrot that really did drive me to sprint towards it. And then other times I'd I'd have a carrot that was, you know, it was a slow walk towards it. And, 
if I succeeded well in setting the right outcome, I'd achieve a lot. And if I didn't, I'd, I'd probably still get some growth, but not to the level that I ultimately wanted. But really, the point of having the outcome there was that if I had the right outcome, I had better behaviours for the period leading up to that time. I'll give the two examples. So the first time when I did the Christchurch Marathon, and that was, the, that was when the carrot wasn't so much of an appealing outcome for me, the idea of getting up and training in cold days wasn't as appealing. The idea of getting up and doing a really hard run, you know, going getting out the door and absolutely smacking yourself, suddenly I, I, I didn't have the motivation to do that. I, I kind of had the bare minimal amount to achieve this goal. You know, I wasn't as disciplined with my rest strategies. I wasn't as disciplined with my eating. I, I kind of would go out late sometimes on the weekend and, and to the detriment of my own training. And so... Because the carrot or the outcome wasn't that appealing, I didn't have to do the best behaviours in myself to achieve that goal. And then if we look at the flip side to that into my last Ironman, like I look at that period, there was basically a four-month period leading up to that race, and I look at it so fondly as, as one of the highlights of my life because in that time, I did everything it took to be successful. And it was a really interesting time as well because there was a time where... um the business side of myself was was really excelling. Time where um, I, my group fitness world was really excelling. I was doing some important work within there. There was a time where I was training like like I didn't even miss a session. Every session I hit, I hit hard. I re- my rest strategies were good. I ate well. It was like every day I was making perfect decisions around what it takes for me to achieve my outcome. And during this time, I experienced what it was like to be the best version of myself. But looking at this now, as, as I look back now and as, as I lead into where we're going with today's conversation, was that in the past, I was trying to find the perfect outcome that would then lead me towards my best behaviours. I'll say that again. In the past, I was trying to find the perfect outcome that would lead me towards my best behaviours. If I found that right outcome, I would have these amazing behaviours. And if I didn't have the right outcome, I wouldn't have them to the same level. And now I'm going to kind of talk in this in another slight different language, the idea of the processes. So I'm going to talk about Rote and I'm going to talk about Christchurch. When I talk about Rote, that's my, my Ironman where I was great and Christchurch is my marathon where I wasn't so great. So my Ironman when I was great, I had amazing time management. You know, I know when I'm working at my best, I sit down on a Sunday afternoon and I time manage my week and think about what I have coming up. When I'm in my great place, when I was doing my Ironman and wrote, I sat down every day before I went out the door and did my training session and thought about what am I trying to achieve in this session and how can I make sure I get the most out of the session. So I'd sit down even before I go out the door and just spend a couple of minutes visualizing, talking about, thinking about the sets that I had to do and really get the most out of the session. You know, what music will I listen to? Who am I going to train with that's going to push me harder? Whereas when I was training for Christchurch, I just put my shoes on and went out the door. Really what I was doing at that time was I was trying to find an outcome that would make me have the best behaviours in myself in a day-to-day way. Ultimately, when I have the perfect outcome, my behaviours improve, which then makes me a higher level me. And this got me thinking recently around the idea of a process-driven athlete. So I thought I'd tell you a bit of a story. Recently I got to interview a guy called Simon Whitfield. Now Simon Whitfield is um, the Olympic gold medalist for the first triathlon at the Sydney Olympics in 2000. Leading into the Olympics, Simon Whitfield was an up-and-coming athlete who you know a few people knew of, but he hadn't really done a significant amount of his career at that stage. So he had nothing to prove. You know, he kind of went along and he just thought, I'm just going to have a good time and I'm just going to focus on the process that it takes to make me great. You know, his always energy was around what are the things that I can do, to, the, I suppose the behaviours, if you use a process, it can be behaviours at the same time. What are the behaviours and the processes that I can do as an athlete to be as successful as possible in this race? 
Now, in this interview, he talks about how, you know, in the race, he wasn't really worried about the outcome as such. Always he was thinking about was what's the thing that I can control right now? What are the behaviours I have to do to be successful? And even as he led up to the race, you know, it was all that stuff. What is the process? What are my behaviours? How can I do those to the best of my ability to give me the best opportunity to win this race? Now, he then went on to win the, simple, the gold medal at the Olympic Games. So, obviously, he was pretty successful. After the Olympics, Simon then went on to become one of the top triathletes in the world over the next few years. He went on to win the, the Commonwealth Games gold medal. He went on to win quite a few iconic races within triathlon. And four years later, he then went back to the Athens Olympics. And at this time, he was now one of the bigwigs. He was one of the guys that everyone else was looking out for. And he was saying in our interview that for him, at this time, it was about proving himself. It was a little bit about ego, and it was a little bit about showing that he was the man in the sport, and that, you know, he's the guy to watch out for, you know, kind of, it was more from an ego place. And that when his focus was on that place, he wasn't necessarily focused on what are the behaviours or the processes that make me the best athlete that I can be. Went to Athens and he had a ter- you know he had a terrible race. I don't know his exact placing, but he didn't medal and and ultimately at that time he probably felt he would have been the gold medal winner. So, you know at that time that was the disaster. Then four years later he then went back to Beijing for the Olympics in Beijing, and he looked at his last two Olympic experiences. The first time where he focused on the behaviours and the processes it took to be the best version of himself. And then the second time when he went to Athens and he focused on the ego and the proving of self and the difference it made to his outcomes. So then when he went back to Beijing and and China, he thought to himself, I'm not even going to worry about my ego. All I'm going to do is focus on the processes that makes me successful in this race. He then went on to get a silver medal at the Olympic Games. And when we talked to him, he really attributed that race to the fact that he just focused on what are the best processes that I can have in my life to be successful. When you talk to a lot of of high-level athletes, and admittedly I talk to a lot of triathletes because that's kind of the world I know, but when you talk to a lot of these guys and girls, and you talk to the ones who have achieved pinnacle things, the word process-driven athlete comes up a lot. You know, I think we, we when you're watching sport, you think it's all about emotion, it's all about this, and, and you know, they're just born with this talent and they can just pull it off. But really, when you when you actually listen to them, they, they have these processes that they have in place that make them the best version of themselves. And there is a sense of, if I can control these processes, then I can have a better outcome. And if we look at Simon's example, you know, if, if you look at the three different Olympics, At the Sydney Olympics, he focused on the process. What are the things that he can do to give himself the best opportunity to win? And then when he went to the um, Athens Games, his focus was on, I want to win this race. It was on the outcome. And then lastly, when he went back to Athens and got the silver medal, he then focused on, what is the process that makes me successful again? This really got me thinking, you know, that I had this interview recently and, and it kind of reinforced some of the thinking I've been doing recently and it really got me thinking about the way I'd been setting goals up to in the past. Now, as I was talking about earlier, the way I would set goals in the past was that I was aiming for an outcome and if the outcome was good, I was great. But if the outcome wasn't so motivating, I wasn't so great. It's not that I was bad, but, you know, I wasn't as sharp as I could be. So this got me thinking around the idea of setting goals in a different way. And it got me around the idea of maybe not trying to set goals around an outcome. It got me into the idea of setting goals around the process that I do when I'm in my greatest place. What are the things that I do when I'm in my sharpest place as possible? And this is where I'm really lucky as, as a personal coach is that I, I get to spend time with people trying to figure out what is the thing that drives them to be the best version of themselves. And so around this time, and if you're one of my clients listening to this, I'm sure you identify because I use this a lot with a lot of my clients, not all of them, but with, with you know some of my clients I use this stuff. And around this time, I started the idea of the process challenge. And so what I'd do is I'd, I'd get a client and you know we'd, we'd establish what were the behaviours they had when they were at their greatest place? And they might look at the different areas of their lives and they might find out that, okay, well, 
Um, you know, when I when I'm doing my best, I have really good time management. When I'm doing my best, I sleep this much. When I'm doing my best, you know, around eating, I tend to plan my lunch better. So, like for example, if I'm eating well, I take my lunch to work. If I'm eating poorly, I leave it late. I leave for work, and then I end up having fast food at lunchtime. And if anything, when I have fast food, I have too much fast food. That there is processes that you've used in your past that have made you really, really successful. So what I tend to do with my clients is we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what are those processes that you've used in the past that have made you the most successful in the areas you're trying to excel in. And obviously as a coach, sometimes I'll introduce concepts as well, but you know, we spend a lot of time, first of all, just trying to figure out what are those things. And I'm going to give you an example of this in a minute that I use with my running group recently. And so, we, you know, what are the things, you know, think about yourself. When you're rested well, do you perform better? Or on the flip side of that, if you've had a lack of sleep, do you perform poorly the next day? Like let's say, for example, for you, eight hours sleep is the, the optimal amount of sleep that you know if you get eight hours sleep, you just feel great the next day. But if you only have five hours sleep, you know you're going to perform poorly the next day. Now, if we think of that, that really simple formula, that eight hours I perform well, five to six hours I perform poorly. We now know that one of your processes is to try get eight hours sleep as often as possible in your life. That by doing that, your outcomes in the next day are going to be better because your process is delivering a better version of yourself the next day. I'm going to share with you uh, something I do with my running groups as well around process-driven thinking. But I thought I'd share an example of me around rest. Um, I've got an iPhone, and, and and if you know me, I like my Apple products. I'm a bit of an Apple geek. And when I first got my iPhone, I got into the tendency of playing iPhone games. And as you do, because they're pretty cheap and they're pretty easy to play. And and I'd often go to bed around, Joe and I, we go to bed around 9.30, 10 most nights because I'm always up around 5.30. And... Joe and I would, you know, spend some time together and then she'd tend to, tend to turn over and then I would start playing my iPhone games. Now, when I was playing my iPhone games, Joe may turn over at 10, then I would start to around 11.30 playing iPhone games in my bed, which would then mean, because I often get up around 5.15, 5.30 most mornings, that I was only really getting about six hours sleep of quality sleep a night. Now, for me, I can live on six hours sleep, but it's not the best version of myself. If I really want to get into the next day, you know, firing all guns blazing, I really need around seven to seven and a half hours of sleep. So the process of playing iPhone games was actually taking me away from being the best version of myself. Now in the past, what I would have done is, is I would have known that deep down my iPhone staying up late was making me perform poorly the next day, but I would only stop playing my iPhone games if I had the right outcome. So if I was training for that, you know, rote Ironman or challenge rote, if I was training for that race, I would have put my iPhone down because I knew that I needed that extra sleep. But if I was training for the marathon, I would have played my iPhone games because deep down I knew I could get by without, you know, with only six hours sleep and, 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 the, and the carrot wasn't enough. But that's where the process-driven goals or the process challenge, which I'm going to talk to you guys about in a minute, is completely different that really, ultimately, my aim is to perform at my highest level as often as possible. And that what I can do is I can establish what are the habits that I do when I'm my best version and how do I set a challenge around that. So with the iPhone games, the real example that I was just talking about there, that I know that I'm going to have a better day tomorrow if when I go to bed, I put my iPhone down and I pick up my Kindle and read a book. Reading a book at night time just puts me to sleep. I can, and a good night, I can probably last half an hour, and but most of the time I'm asleep within 15 minutes of starting to read a book, which means admittedly it takes me forever to read a book, but that's okay. So, you know, two different examples. First example, when I'm not that focused, is um, I'll sit up play iPhones to 11.30, getting only six hours sleep. Second example is I pick up my Kindle or I read a book for around 15, 20 minutes, I'm asleep by around 10, 10.30. I get around seven and a half hours sleep, or seven to seven and a half hours sleep. Then the next day, I wake up as the better version of myself. That there's a process around sleep that I have when I'm in my great version, and there's a process I have when I'm in my not so great version. 
now as I've alluded to quite a few times already in the show, in the past, I was trying to find the outcome that would make me want to have the great process of going to bed and reading a Kindle. That if the, if the outcome was great, I would go to bed and read a Kindle, and if the outcome wasn't so good, I would use my iPhone. But recently I thought to myself, well, how about we do things a little bit different? How about I not focus on an outcome at all? How about I focus on setting a challenge which is around the behaviours and the processes I have when I'm in my greatest place? You know, what are the, 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 the habits and processes I have in, in all areas of my life when I'm at my highest level and how can I set up a challenge where I'm trying to do that every day of my life? Because really, if I can get the processes right, I'm going to be a high-level version of myself. And the outcomes will come because of that. Like if I sleep better, the next day I'm going to perform better. If I sleep poorly, the next day I'm not going to perform so well. So if I can get those processes working well, then how can I do it? I thought I'd share, share what I'm doing with one of my running groups right now. You know, um, I've, I've got a running group for a half marathon and one of the really frustrating things around, well not frustrating, but one of the things around the running groups is that we've set up this business where we do a 10 week package to a half marathon and it's um, it's everything you need to know. We have seminars, we send you weekly newsletters, we have three group training sessions a week and it's really motivating and, and we create an amazing culture where people develop and get friendships and all the rest of it and the business has been going for around three years now and it's particularly the half marathon distance and, and we find that what we do really well is when the people with us, they are great. So and I suppose ultimately what do they get with us? Well with us, they get the physical. They get to train with, with like-minded people and they, and they push harder than what they would by themselves. They get coaches there who can help them you know, strengthen and, and change their technique to make them better and, and all the rest of it. So when they're with us, we find that in the 10 weeks they train with us, their physical, they are phenomenal. They train to a higher level they have normally trained. They get the wicked physical results and you know, they get a lot of benefit from that. But to be successful as an athlete, it's, it's more than just training. You know, to be successful as an athlete, you need great rest strategies. To, be, to give yourself the, the best chance of being amazing, you have to eat well. You need to make sure that the people around you know what you're trying to achieve and, and how can they support you in that goal. You need good time management. You know, it's particularly if you're if you're not a full time athlete. You know, if you're a, if you're a full time athlete who only has to train four hours a day, well, your time management could probably be a little bit poorer. But if you're doing a forty hour week job and you've got a family and you're trying to train for a half marathon, you need good time management. For a runner, they they need to do some strength work, and and our group doesn't. You know, we mainly do the run training. We do a bit of core work and, and maybe a little bit of squats and stuff. But there's some other cross training around flexibility and and a little bit of strength work, which will be really beneficial for injury prevention and also for you know recovery strategies. And what we found with our runners is that sure, in the ten weeks they trained with us, they were legendary at one aspect of what they did: the physical training with the group. But all the other areas of their life, they pretty much just stayed in the same place they'd always been. That it rests, you know, generally not the greatest. Their nutrition would just stay where it was, whereas there could be room for improvement. Their time management would often hurt their training, if anything, because they were so busy that they might have to miss sessions or they'd come to sessions unfocused. You know, that their support network maybe wasn't that supportive of them, but that may have came down through the lack of communication. So as a business, we thought to ourselves, well, how can we make sure that we try to set it up so that these people can be more self-responsible in the areas that we can't influence because we're not there? And ultimately, I suppose that's what, you know, like if you spend 10 weeks with me and you, you do great training and then you go back to what you were, I kind of feel I've let you down a little bit because I want you to get gain from what we do. So what we did with this latest group is we spent some time in, in one of our first seminars and we basically broke down those areas that I just talked about, rest and nutrition, extra cross-training, your support network, nutrition, time management, and setting objectives. And we basically said to each individual within the group, for you, what is the best you've experienced in those different areas? So let's look at sleep. When you're working at your best, or, or when you're rested at your best, which then means you can work at your best, how much sleep do you need each night? 
So you might say, for example, okay, well, when I'm at my best, I tend to sleep seven and a half hours a night, okay? And do you have rest during the day? And you might say, yep, I'd like to have a little bit of an afternoon, you know, walk outside, lay down in the park, whatever that could be. What around nutrition? What are the habits? What are the processes that you have when you're eating the best that you can eat? Now, I'm not saying what are the foods you eat. I'm saying what are the habits that make you eat the best foods? So the example I used earlier could be could be applicable here. You may say to yourself, well, I know I eat better if I plan my meals. If I get up in the morning and get up, you know, make my lunch for work and prepare a healthy meal, I know I'm going to eat better because then when I go to lunch, you know, lunch comes at work, the food is there. Whereas if I don't prepare my meal, I tend to go to a fast food place and, you know, get fast food and and like I said earlier maybe a little bit too much fast food because those places are designed to resist the temptation also around nutrition you know when we did the seminar some people were saying how for them they eat better if they actually sit down and plan each meal for the week before they do the shopping and another girl said for her to not go shopping after she's done a run because she knows she's hungry these are the processes that these people use when they're in their best place they plan their lunch. They plan their meals for the week. They don't shop when they're hungry. When they're in their best place around sleep, they, they sleep seven and a half, half hours sleep. We talked about you know your support network. When you're going towards any goal, you need the people around you to be supportive. That can be your loved ones, that can be your boss, it can be your children and so on. And the example I used is when you've, you know, you know that maybe in three weeks from now you're going to be doing a run. That means you have to leave work a little bit earlier because it's a little bit longer than normal. And if you were to go up to the boss on that afternoon and say, "Oh, look, can I leave work early today because I've got this run?" Is your boss going to be that supportive of you? Whereas if you were to go up to them three weeks earlier and say, "Look, I've got this run coming up in three weeks. I really want to do it, and uh, I understand I will have to leave work earlier that day. Maybe I can come in earlier, or I can make up the time before or afterwards." Would your boss be reasonable in that situation? Around time management, when you've been really good at time management in the past, what did you do? Did you sit down every Sunday and do a time management planning session? Did you pack your bags the night before you did a training session, and so on? The other area which I won't really talk about here is, is how do you make sure you get quality training and, and that was one of the things that a lot of people said is that they pack their bags the night before they go training. But you can kind of see where I'm starting to go with this right now. That ultimately we all have this certain level of behaviours that we do when we're at the best version of ourselves. So what we did in this seminar is we spent a lot of time establishing well in these different areas, sleep and rest, extra cross training, support network, nutrition and time management what is what I called your best practices? You know, what's your best practice for sleep? What's your best practice with support networks, nutrition, and so on? Then what we did is we then set up the process challenge. See that when I was talking about the process challenge here, it was really based on what was your best in those areas. So I wasn't saying, we think you need to sleep nine hours a night to make sure that you're being the best version of yourself. We, we started from When you've been your best in these different areas, what were the processes that you had? So when I sleep seven and a half hours, I read my Kindle book and I fall to sleep. When I have a bad process, I play my iPhone games. So we established, you know, based on your needs, what are your best processes? And this is where the process challenge started to come in. So we established your best practices in the areas. And then we set a 10-week challenge with our aiming to have those processes as often as possible. So then the next step in the seminar was to ask people how often they are doing those things really well. So let's say, for example, the nutrition, that you know that planning your lunch and making your lunch before you go to work means you're going to eat better, which in theory means you're going to be a better version of yourself, that that process is what you're aiming for. How often realistically are you doing that right now? Now I saw different people with different percentages. I mean, I looked down and one lady was only hitting it 10% of the time. And then other people were saying, oh, I probably around 50% of the time. So then what we're trying to do is establish in the different areas where you're trying to progress, where are you right now with those best practices for yourself? Once we'd established that, then we set a goal around what would be a good target to move forward from there. 
And what I what I asked for them, I didn't want perfection. It wasn't about getting 100%. It wasn't that you were going to go and get seven and a half hours sleep every night of your life. It wasn't that you were going to pick your lunch every day. But what would be a realistic and slightly challenging step in moving towards better practices or better processes in the different areas that we had identified? So let's say, for example, just because pick your lunch is the one that keeps coming up, that you pick your lunch... Currently, you did it two days a week, which meant you had fast food three times a week. Do you think you could aim to pick your lunch four times a week? And if so, will that be your goal? So now, the challenge became picking your lunch four times a week. Why? Because we know that when you do that process of picking your lunch, you eat healthier food and you don't overeat because you often resist to temptation food when you go down that path. So that process of picking your lunch actually makes you a better version of yourself. So then with my runners, once we basically established what were the best versions, the best practices in the different areas, and where are they right now, and then where's the target to go for, then we gave them basically a fridge star chart. Like, like you do with a nappy, you know, like for kids when they learn to toilet train. And we gave them the next 10 weeks. And we gave them a, a column for each different area, sleep and rest, extra cross-training, support network, nutrition, time management, and so on. And then they then had targets for each of the different areas for the best practices. So you might say for nutrition, out of seven days, you want to hit it five days for best practices, e.g. what's your best process. Within that, your aim is to get that five days a week for 10 weeks ongoing you kind of see where I'm going with this so so then what we did is they basically had to calculate you know on average if I'm going to do five times a week for 10 weeks I've got to get 50 marks over that time period in nutrition and if I can do that then I, I succeed in my process challenge you know after doing all these calculations they then had a plan they were aiming towards they were basically realistically what we've done is we'd figure out when they're at their best in these certain different areas what were the processes and behaviours they had? Where are they right now? And then where is a good step forward in these different areas? And then we actually set up a challenge by giving them a fridge magnet and, and, and what we're going to do is we establish this more and more is, is actually get them to buddy up with someone just to check out how their process challenge is going. Now, with the running group, this is the first time I did it, so I can't really talk to results yet, but, you know, Talking to a few of the people after the seminar, they were saying, wow, this is really great because A, it made them aware of how they can improve their behaviours and B, it put them towards their place. But over the last period of time with my personal clients, and, and, and it's different to what, you know, the running group is different to a personal client, but I've found that these people have been able to find a high level of self because of the process challenge. Now, like all things, I always think that if you're going to, you know, get people to try things, you need to do it yourself. So around four or five months ago, I thought, okay, well, I need to do a process challenge myself. And so I look back to those times, you know, where my outcome was a real driver. So I look back to the challenge wrote and I look back and I thought, well, if that was a four month period of my life where I felt I was being, you know, like just excelling at everything I did, what were the processes and our habits that I had at those times to make me the best version of myself? I'm actually just going to pull up my process challenge. I just actually finished about a week ago so I next, I'm about to reset my new one because I want to evolve it but I'm just pulling it up right now where's my little thing here process challenge here it is so so for me okay so so in my eight weeks I basically had around 10 things that I, that I know are behaviors that make me great some of them are here we go I'm just going to give you some of them so uh, reading Kindle books at bedtime which is one I've talked about a lot in the show second thing is to run read my my affirmations and do my visualization in the morning I know when I'm the best version of myself, I do that. I know that when I don't do that, my pre-planning for the day is affected and I don't plan well. For me, doing a Sunday planning session is really, really effective in making sure my mind can be great at what I'm doing. Another thing that I do is, and I probably should do a show on this, is uh, set objectives for the task at hand. Um, I, I live at a very life where... Um, I kind of wake up in the morning and I have all day to do whatever I want to do and I don't really have many time frames around other people's requirements of me so I could easily waste a lot of time but when I'm in my greatest place I kind of sit down and go okay in the next couple of hours 
this is what I'm trying to achieve. So if I'm going to jump on the piano, okay, I want to do this scale, I want to practice my song playing and, and so on. So setting objectives. Meditation is a best practice for me. Um, writing my nightly journal and so on. I had some around nutrition and all those things as well. So really for me in the eight weeks, I was trying to see if every day I could maintain those habits. Now I did pretty well. I think I did, I, I had to get a score of 50 every week and I think I averaged around 46 so I was 47 46 so you know like I did pretty well but what I discovered in myself was I was on this high level all the time and for the first time in my life I wasn't focused on the outcome that I was desiring and I didn't even need the outcome to be at this high level I wasn't so focused on trying to find that carrot you know as I used to say in the past, you know, if I have the right goal, I'll be amazing. This time, it was the process that was delivering the outcomes. I was achieving a lot of outcomes in different areas, but it wasn't because I was seeking an outcome. It was because I was trying to focus on maintaining the process. So what does this mean for you guys? Well, I think this is, is, is a great little project to try. I think it's worth spending some time thinking about different areas of your life. Now, I know I've talked a lot about my running groups here, and so those areas are specific to, you know, how can you be the best athlete? But if you start with that question of how can I be the best version of myself, and what are the processes that I've done in the past in different areas to create that? And you may look to times when you had good goals, or you may look to times where you felt you were succeeding or, or, you know, going really well. And then what were the things that you did that took you to that place? If we go back to the food analogy, did you pick your lunch? If you go to the sleep, did you get your seven and a half hours sleep? If you went to time management, did you do the things that you know you do well when you're time managing? Spend some time exploring what those things are. You know, maybe even try to find other tools, you know, as a, as a coach in my coaching sessions, I often introduce tools that people may not know, but some new tools that can help you be the better version of yourself. And then try to set up a challenge, and I, I think like a, a six to eight week challenge where you, you put a star chart on your fridge, and every Monday, you know, every day you get home and you just go, did I do, did I do my visualization? Yes. Did I plan my lunch? Yes. And you just give yourself a tick. And your aim in the eight weeks is to get a percentage of that mark. So you might establish right now that of those best practices, you hit 50%. But in the eight weeks from here forward, you want to try to hit 80% of them. I've found from experience with myself and with a lot of my clients and, and hopefully with my runners moving forward, that by focusing on the process and being a process-driven thinker and, and person, you live in a higher level of yourself. And that when you live in a higher level of yourself, the outcome you desire is always there. That the outcomes will come. And you no longer have to seek, I hope to be this thing. You just become it. So go on. Give it a try. Devote some time. Figure out your best practices. Become a process-driven thinker and practicer. And you'll find that you'll be the best version of yourself a lot more often. Right, guys, well, uh, that's, uh, that's uh, episode 19 pretty much wrapped up. Um, I kind of, I hope it makes sense. <laughs> kind of sometimes I record these things and then afterwards I go, oh, I hope that all kind of came together right. So um, I hope it did. I have done the workbook for this one because I actually think, you know, this for me has been such a, a powerful tool in, um, in living in a high level, I suppose, is a way to put it. And, and it's funny how it does just come down to processes. And, and, you know, it was funny. I was doing a 5K running race the other day. And I was getting to that plus place in the race where I was getting really emotional and really fatigued and dying. And at that time, um, I saw a guy in front of me who I really wanted to catch. And he was just a little bit too far in front of me. And I went to an emotional place and I just thought to myself, no, no, focus on process. And you had to run up the hill in the last part. So I just focused, okay, what are the things I can control? Knees up, fast turnover, posture. You breathe, you know, and slowly catch him. And, and fortunately, I was able to catch him and, and get him by the end. And, you know... 
often in times when we're struggling, and not just as an athlete, but as a person, we go to an emotional place. We go to, oh, you know, I'm, you know, maybe I'm not good enough or I'm not strong enough. You know, that's what I was thinking. Oh, I'm not, not what I used to be. It's, it's hard. That's what I was thinking as I was doing this 5K race. And then I went back to know my process to give me the best opportunity to do well is to focus on knees up, posture up, and fast turnover. It's the same in all other areas of your life. If you feel that you're not performing well, are you sleeping well? Is your nutrition well? Are you, are you having good those good habits that you know that create the best version of yourself? So as as we look at the worksheet that goes along with this one, Shell, I've really tried to spend some time developing a worksheet that gets you to reflect in a way to really ask those questions of yourself. What are those those best practices that you have and what are the processes you have in different areas that make you the best version of yourself? And once you've established those, to then maybe look at the percentage of the time you're doing them now, to set a percentage that you should aim for, and then to you know almost have a star chart that you're going to check in on every day. Now, what I found really interesting when I did it, and, and also for a lot of my clients, is that it just it's a bit of a motivator just having it on the fridge. And as you start to tick a few off, you get that snowball effect, that effect of... Um, you know, you know, I've done it for two weeks, I've got to stick at it, and, and then you start to understand the benefit of it, so, um, yeah, give it a try, get the, get the PDF, it's on my website, Bevan James Isles, if you go to Fitness Behaviour, and there, there'll be a link there, you buy it, it's $3 US, and uh, it's just a PDF download, and it's about 10 pages, and you'll be able to work your way through it, so anyway, I just uh, thought that that would be a pretty cool thing to look at. Anywho, I do have a question. And it's from a guy called Kevin Tia, and he's from Malaysia, and um, he he's kind of lives in a similar world that I used to live in. And he's basically a young athlete, and he's been doing really well at half Ironmans and um, doing around a 420, which is a pretty quick half Ironman. And he's hoping to one day kind of get up to that sub nine hour mark and and spend a bit of time doing that. Now he's currently 25, and um, he realizes he's got a long kind of journey in front of him. But he was kind of wondering. I suppose overall I am committed, this is what he's saying, overall I am committed to try to go under 9 hours in an Ironman someday long term, possibly in the next two year, 10 years by the time I'm 35, as it has always been a sporting goal and I do enjoy the sport. And I do realise that in life sometimes we do not get what we work for and going under 9 hours might never be possible for me, though I continue to be hopeful and will work hard and long basis to try and get there. However, what I'm hoping to learn from you is even if I don't break the nine hour mark, that doesn't make me less worthy as a person and realize that life is inherently bigger than this, more than just triathlon, something I'm trying hard to find right now. Um, this is a really, it's a really. I suppose I'll give a bit more context around it. Ironman as a sport does tend to attract people who are very driven towards a big goal and it sounds like Kev's got this massive goal of achieving a sub nine hour, which is by no means an easy feat. I know I'd spent seven years of my life chasing that goal and, and I missed it about, about three minutes in the end but I, I, th- I think ultimately what we, we, we that's a hard question and and it's a hard question because well to achieve a sub nine hour Ironman is a very big goal and it's a, it's a life consuming goal and um, you know to, to put that much time and energy into it, geez I know I've, I've gone for it, it takes up pretty much all of your mind space, all of your energy and, and you have to make big sacrifices to achieve it and so are you a less worthy person if you don't achieve it and, and I suppose I can only really speak from my own experience and I think that when we think around setting goals, and especially goals that are going to be very one-focused, because to me, one-focused goals have a level of danger that can be um, unhealthy for people, because if you only have one area of life that gives you esteem, if that if you don't achieve in that area, what else have you got? And um, I know in the sport of Ironman, that can often be a big problem. You, you see it in all areas of life. You see the business person who's hugely successful at business, but you know fails every, every area of their life. And um, it, there can be detrimental results from someone who just has a single focus trying to achieve and so ultimately I I think you've got to go back to well why are you doing this and as much as I never got to my nine hour mark I think luckily that I always came from this sport is here just to teach me how to be a better version of myself and it's given me an opportunity to stretch myself and develop myself in ways that maybe I can't do in other areas of my life. And so for, for if I'm looking from the outside in on your situation here, Kev, it, it's really around 
what do you want to develop in yourself? And what will it take to achieve that within the sport? And then how can you still develop that in other areas of your life at the same time? So when I was doing my Ironman, I was always, I was really just trying to find a better version of myself through the sport and it was a great motivator so it really took me to that place and I was willing to sacrifice a lot of my life to achieve it. But at the same time, I still had a couple other areas where I was trying to develop myself. Now not to the same level, like in Ironman I was spending 40 hours a week doing exercise so I wasn't going to be able to spend 20 hours developing myself in other areas but I was able to spend 5 hours a week playing my guitar still or 5 hours a week developing my business and so that really ultimately your sport is a way to develop character and then how can you make sure you're still developing character in other areas of your life as you move forward. And I think you'll find you'll probably be a better athlete if you can do that as well. So think of the big picture. Think of where am I trying to go for as a person? Why is this the most appealing way to get there? And then how can I do that in a way that's healthy but not so single focused that if it crumbles I will feel I've let down myself down for the rest of my life. Because ultimately for me, at the end of my Ironman career, I actually missed out on this big dream by a few minutes. And I probably could have stayed in the sport for another year and got there. Like I probably could have, if I did another year's training, I probably would have got there. But you know what? I'd done my time. And I was quite happy to move on from the sport. And and I left it in in a sense of pride and how I'd grown as a person. And ultimately, I would have loved to get that extra five minutes. But I don't look back and feel sad about it. I look back and go, you know what? That's what I became. So I hope that helps. Good luck. That's uh, pretty much this month's show, guys. If you do have any questions, you feel free to send them through to me at bevanjames at gmail.com. And uh, that'd be really great. You check out my website, bevanjamesisles.com, and you can send me through any questions or tell your world about what I'm doing. I get lots of lovely emails from you guys saying that you're enjoying my work, which is great. If you want to donate to the show, and, and I do get some donations from people, and I love it. Like it's, It means so much to me because... I'm a real, like I'm not going to lie, I'm a really busy person and um, and it's important to me that I'm doing things that are helping people grow and, and, and develop and so the support, financial support and just also the emails that you guys give really, sh- I suppose show me that I'm doing something right in this world so I really, really appreciate that. If you want to donate to the show, go Bevan James Isles, there'll be a link on the show notes and you can get it there. Other than that, you guys have a wonderful month. I've been doing this show in my pants, and it's probably about 30 degrees here today, and I'm sweating like a dog, so I'm going to turn off the mic, go get into some shorts, and enjoy the afternoon. Oh, one thing I didn't tell you guys is I've got a cat, and if you listen to this, I've got a little cat, so I'm going to go play with the cat a little bit. Anyway, uh, her name's Tabster. I'll catch up next month, guys. You have a good one.